Hello, this is Bob Groves and welcome to Faculty in Research. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Rena Agarwal, the Robert E. McDonough Professor of Finance and Director of the Georgetown Center for Financial Markets and Policy. Rena specializes in, in global financial markets, capital raising, initial public offerings, fintech, institutional investors, ETFs, private equity, valuation, stock exchange structure, security, market regulation, corporate governance, and ESG. Her research is well recognized globally for addressing governance challenges throughout the world. And she's received several awards, including the BlackRock National Association of Corporate Directors Award. Rena, I am overjoyed that we persuaded you to join us today in this little podcast. Thank you for coming. Bob, thank you for inviting me for this conversation. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I think our first question is, how did you, looking back over your life, find that finance was so interesting to you that you've devoted your career to a set of questions related to that. So that's interesting. And I grew up in India. And at that time, the two major professions that we heard about and talked about were you either became a doctor or you became an engineer. And the MBA wasn't up there at all. It was still a relatively new degree and we didn't know about an MBA. So I knew I was not going to be a doctor. I hated the sight of blood. So my sister went that route, which meant I only had one option. So I went off to a pretty well-known engineering school in India and uh, with the intention that I was going to become an engineer. And then in my second year of college, I took a couple of management electives and I absolutely loved it. And it was an institution that allowed me to transfer very easily from engineering to management and I still remember I transferred and, you know, we didn't have cell phones and all of that at that time. At the end of the semester, I came back home and I told my mother I had switched from engineering to this thing called management. And I prayed the whole way home, hoping I'm not going to disappoint her. And she was uh, perfectly fine with it. So, Rena, how old were you at this point? I was 18, 18, 19, uh, something like that. It is the best decision I made from a career point of view. I love what I do now. And then once I decided it was management, finance was pretty obvious. I had this engineering background, you know, I had been doing programming. I had this quantitative analytical kind of a mindset. I was a numbers person. So finance kind of became obvious. So I don't have an undergraduate degree. I ended up doing this five-year engineering come management program, which has been actually terrific for my career. And then what happened next? How did you end up here? I ended up here because I wanted to pursue a PhD in uh, finance. 
And I got married and my husband was here and he was working here in the Washington area. And the next thing I knew, uh, I was here and it's been a great journey. And when I graduated from the PhD program, I really knew that I wanted to be at Georgetown. We wanted to stay in the Washington area. And uh, from the very beginning, I, I knew Georgetown was where I really wanted to be. And so uh, it's been such a privilege to be at Georgetown. Well, I assume many perhaps most people with interest in finance do not enter academia, but they rather enter the financial sector as a practitioner. So what was the appeal of devoting your life to the research side and to academia and the teaching side? I was really curious and interested. And so I started off my work on, so I'm a financial markets person. That's how I think of myself. And I started off my work on looking at how do companies raise capital? How do they get access to capital? And, uh, you know, sometimes finance is seen as this very greedy uh, career, but really if the financial sector doesn't work well, then we're not going to have the innovation and the job creation and the wider economy working well. So my initial work was about raising capital and what's called IPOs, initial public offerings. That's where I started off the process of raising capital and how prices are determined. And then Georgetown had such a huge influence on what I did after that. I was asked to be a Fulbright scholar in Brazil. Brazil was going through a privatization program. And so they were very interested in the work that I had done. So I actually didn't apply for the Fulbright, but they uh, invited me to come as a Fulbright scholar. And it really was Georgetown's influence. You know, we've always been very strong and international. And uh, for the young faculty, the junior faculty out there listening, it was a tough decision for me. Should I go with the Fulbright or not? I was an untenured faculty member. And you were an assistant at that time. I was an assistant professor and some of my senior colleagues told me that that would be a mistake. But, you know, it turned out to be one of the best things I've done. It really pushed me to do international research. And I became known for doing work on capital raising, not only in the U.S., but also in uh, emerging markets. And that sort of one thing led to another. Then it was, I was helping countries like, again, everything from the exchanges in New York to Ecuador and Peru and Vietnam and Mexico and India on the market structure, capital raising, regulation kinds of issues. The other huge influence that Georgetown had on me was Georgetown is so strong on the policy side. And this work that I was doing, it gelled very well with the Securities and Exchange Commission, the main regulator of our financial markets in the US. So I took leave from Georgetown and I spent time at the SEC. And there I got access to just absolutely wonderful data. And I've got to say that both of these actually played a big role in my research profile. So let me probe that because the stereotype rebut to that decision on your part is if you start doing this applied work, if you start advising practitioners in whatever field you're in, you lose productivity on the scholarly side. So did you deliberately choose these experiences with practitioners to choose those that really had a potential yield on your scholarship? So Bob, I really believe in what I call excellence in research to impact practice and policy. So the prerequisite is excellence in research. 
you've got to be able to publish this in the best peer-reviewed journals. That, that's the starting point. But then I want my work to have an impact. And the kind of work I do is empirical in nature, whether it's the SEC chairs uh, citing the work or the market practices uh, that uh, are able to use this research. I think that's really important. So again, you know, being at a place like the SEC, from a policy point of view, you only needed to take the research up to a certain point. But I went much deeper, right? Because I was interested from an academic point of view also. So then on my own time, I would take it much deeper and it served both purposes. If I'm there, I need to be working on issues that are of interest to the commission, but then I also want to make sure that it's helping my research. I've always had kind of one foot in the private sector, one foot in the policy world, and certainly <laughs> my feet in the academic world. And that has been wonderful for me. I've really benefited. My research has benefited. My teaching has benefited. And I love the portfolio that I have. Many colleagues, I think, appreciate that line of argument and say that their experience in the practical application of their theories and methods actually end up stimulating new advances on their part. They think about their field differently and it sounds like that's how you think about it as well. Yeah, so from my work on emerging markets and capital raising, then I went on into corporate governance. And uh, corporate governance is about, okay, if I'm giving you my money, you, the business, then I want to make sure that that money is managed well and it's not tunneled away. So these are very important research issues. And I think we in academia have both a responsibility and a luxury to address these issues. We can deep dive into them. And so then I started looking at issues of uh, corporate governance and how can firms improve their governance? And uh, I looked at it from two aspects. One is what role can the markets play? So what role, for example, can large institutional investors play in helping push better governance and around the world globally, right? And the other was what role can regulation play? And these were all issues that were very important for policymakers, that were very important for academia to address and for the private sector. So I've really kind of enjoyed this uh, combination where it can have some impact. Yeah, it sounds like it may actually require different parts of the brain to it. I think of finance is starkly quantitative with the mathematics and statistics behind it guiding outcomes. But I assume governance really involves a lot of other issues that trip into the legal domain in some sense. Did you have to teach yourself a new subfield before you took that on? Absolutely. In each of these areas, I had to teach myself a new field from an academic point of view, which was actually pretty limited, but more from a legal and institutional point of view. I would spend time on, for example, the Goldman Sachs trading desk or the JP Morgan talking to people. And that was the wonderful thing when you're talking with lawyers, it actually makes your research better and you understand the whole perspective. So it's kind of interesting when I work with my co-authors, they'll reach out to me and ask me, so does this meet the smell test? Can you do a reality check? The question that we are trying to answer, 
does it make sense? The results that we are finding, do these make sense? And because uh, I have sort of this holistic way of thinking about things, it really does. But the numbers are very important. My work is all empirical, you know, with strong econometrics. Again, in academia, we are writing papers that are empirically rigorous, right? So that's what we bring to it. But you have to understand the institutional knowledge, the legal knowledge, the market uh, workings in order to make sure your research actually makes sense. I get a clear sense of why a university setting is so important to your scholarship. Speak to us a bit about another part of an academic position, and that is teaching. So how does your instructional life fit into your research life and vice versa? How do you think about those two parts of your life? You know, they're very interrelated. So to go back, I used to teach courses on capital raising and IPOs. And then we had the internet bubble of 1999 and that whole market crashed. And then I moved to a broader issue of investment banking. And these courses were extremely popular with students. And then over time came private equity. And I wanted to learn more about private equity. And I knew our students want to uh, go into private equity. And I want to do research in these new areas. So my research has kind of followed my teaching and vice versa. So these days, for the two issues that I'm really interested in now in terms of current and future research is what I call ESG. The G is governance, which I've been doing for a long time. And now there's a lot more attention on the E and the S. The E is environment and S is social. So I'm doing research in these areas and I am hoping, I'm planning to teach courses on ESG investing and in our interdisciplinary programs. We have a number of programs now that are related to sustainability. I want to bring the finance angle, the investing angle. And so it's a very direct connection, right? And then the other area I've been working on recently is what I call FinTech broadly. So it's finance and technology. And technology has always been very important for finance, but there's sort of a whole new wave happening. And again, there's such a huge Georgetown influence. I'm looking at some of these issues from the point of view of financial inclusion, for example, or financial literacy. So these are sort of important issues, whether it's ESG or fintech, and especially today when we see so much inequity around the world from a financial point of view. So Georgetown influences me. We are offering courses on fintech, again, very popular. And I hope to be offering courses in uh, ESG investing. I'm glad you brought up FinTech because I'm naively speculating that the tools of finance may have evolved over your career from those that were a mix of accounting and econometrics into things that really emerge out of computer science with machine learning and things like that. So how do you keep up with a field that has a lot of inputs to it from different knowledge domains. You know, as a senior faculty member, I bring certain things to the table, but I also learn from my junior colleagues. So again, that's where co-authorship is great, where there's synergy. So some of my junior colleagues whom I'm working with, they're really good at machine learning, applying the computer science uh, principles to finance. And I'm kind of really good at thinking about what are the important issues? What are the big picture issues? How to motivate it? What kind of tests do we need to do? So there's a great synergy and it really is important to be on top of things and learning. 
So you learn from your junior colleagues. And I also learn from my former students who are in the private sector, right? So I can pick up the phone and talk to them and I see some results and I'm thinking about something and that works out really well. And then it's great that they come into the classroom and they give lectures on things that they're working on right now. And the students are really interested in that. So it comes together very nicely, I think. So it sounds like your research is really a team sport. You don't sit in your office solely and think great thoughts. You're you're seeking inputs both from collaborators and practitioners all the time. Yeah, Bob, all the time. I'll give you an example of a project that I'm working on. Uh, this is with the Stanford Hoover Institution. You know, they've created a group and we're working on the digital currency in China and what is happening there and what does it mean for the US. So it's a great group of academics, very well-known academics and policymakers. You know, I think at this stage of your career, you kind of really want to address issues that are important and they're very interdisciplinary, right? This group is engineers and policymakers and finance and experts in China. It's just a lot of fun. I absolutely love what I do. So let me probe another side of your life with all clarity. You served with me as a vice provost uh, for faculty for some years, to my delight. And your career has had important service uh, episodes throughout that. Why do you do that? Why you don't have to do those kinds of roles? So how does that fit into your own personal ambition and belief system? I think at different stages of your career, you have to do different things. And senior faculty have to step up and play a role in institution building. And I think that's what drives me, that we have to step up, play a role, help build Georgetown, because it means uh, so much for us. It takes a lot because there are only so many hours in the day. So, you know, certainly I would have been maybe much more research productive than I am because you're trying to do many different things, but you've got to do what works for you. And I love my portfolio. I love the institutional building part of it. I love the teaching part of it. I love the research part of it. I'm the director of our Center for Financial Markets and Policy. And for me, all of these things come together. I wouldn't want to give up any one of them. So maybe just a last set of questions. We often end these conversations with questions. What are you working on right now that excites you, that you find yourself thinking about at odd moments of the day, even when you're not working on the problem directly? What's exciting in what you're doing right now? What's exciting and what's important, uh, I worry about financial inequity issues a lot. And that's where the S in ESG comes in. I worry about the environmental issues. And again, there are also issues which our policymakers are trying to address. And my work is at the intersection of policy and markets. These are very global issues. And uh, I think that's why I'm attracted to what I'm doing right now on the ESG front and the fintech front. And these are just uh, 
big issues and each of us have to sort of build our part as researchers and help both the market side of it and also the regulatory side of it. And what's your sense when you go around the world talking to corporate leaders on these sorts of things? Is it easier and easier to have conversations on these big issues of wealth and equity and environmental degradation? There's still a lot of unanswered questions and the private sector and the policymakers are trying to get answers to them. And that's where academia has to play a role. We are unbiased. We do that rigorous research. So we have to help them think through these issues. These are issues that are not resolved. It's going to take a long time. The E and S, I always say, is sort of 15 years behind G, right? The work I was doing 15 years ago. And it's very complicated to look at the E and S issues from a rigorous empirical point of view, but this is what academia is all about. Are there groups trying to quantify the E and the S in ways that could be integrated into financial planning? Yeah, and it's a real challenge, right? So there are many different groups who come up with ESG scores, for example, for companies. And the correlation between these scores is very low, right? And so the market is saying, so what matters? What do I need to pay attention to? These are some of the same issues that we addressed with G. And academia brought a lot of clarity to it. So I hope the same things will happen with the E and the S. That's a wonderful way and a hopeful way, I think, to end. Rena, thank you so much for spending time with us today and describing the kind of questions that have propelled you forward in your career. Thank you very much. Thank you, Bob.